Okay, so now let's jump into Pennsylvania. So the same same format. We'll look at uh, some of the ways in which the, the Democrats, the media industrial complex, tipped the scales before the election. Just as in 2016, Pennsylvania was arguably the state in 2020 that when this one was called, people determined that the election was over at this point with its 20 electoral votes. Right. Used to Florida and Ohio, especially Ohio, was the premier swing state. So whichever way Ohio went, that's the way the nation went. That's not really the case anymore just because of the political realignment. Now exactly. it is re really Pennsylvania because it is kind of the it's it's you got both worlds combined in Western Pennsylvania. You really do have the more. Midwestern-oriented, like blue-collar, white population that forms the heartland. And then in the eastern side of the state, you have a lot of really college-educated, white-collar, white people. And then, of course, you got Philadelphia, which is heavily black. So you really do kind of have the Democratic core and the Republican core split in the state. So in Pennsylvania, like a lot of other states, like we've mentioned, they altered their ballot integrity procedures before the election making it much, much harder to catch illegal ballots. You know, like signature verification, stuff like that, that was weakened by the legislature. But the the end result of that was in 2018, there were 115,684 ballots that were rejected. These were mail-in ballots that were rejected. In 2020, that was only 7,099. So Biden would simply not have retained his victory in Pennsylvania, arguably, if Pennsylvania had rejected ballots in 2020 at the rate they did in 2018. By their own emission, by their own admission, by their own admission, the scant 0.03% of rejected ballots represented a refusal rate that is just one thirtieth of the level of 2016 in Pennsylvania. So first time mail-in voters typically see a rejection rate of about 3% historically, or 100 times what the rejection rate was in Pennsylvania in 2020. And this is especially relevant because you had so many more mail-in ballots because it was the year of COVID. When neighboring New York this is a, just an example. When New York State moved to widespread mail-in voting in 2020, their election officials rejected 21% of mail-in ballots in June, which represented a rate of 700 times higher than Pennsylvania's during the general election. So the one thing that substituted that uh, that was different about Pennsylvania compared to, say, Nevada, um, was the fact that in Pennsylvania, only voters who requested mail-in ballots were supposed to receive them. So they didn't mail – they weren't supposed to mail a mail-in ballot to every single voter. Mail-in votes were allowed to be counted, and this is the kicker, uh, three days after the election. And this, is, this was ordered by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court without the input of the legislature, which is blatantly unconstitutional because the Constitution does say that the state legislatures are to govern the That's elections. Right. And the Supreme Court, it was taken to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court tied in a 4-4 four four ruling before the election because Amy Coney Barrett was not yet seated. Was this the one where she wasn't seated or she abstained? Because I remember that was a... No, she wasn't seated yet. She hadn't She hadn't oh, actually okay. taken her seat at the Supreme Court. This is right after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Oh, okay. So, so at the time, they were thinking, okay, well, this will be reheard after the election. After she's seated, Republicans will easily win. Several Republican-led counties refused to count ballots that arrived after 8 p.m. on Election Day until the Supreme Court, with Coney Barrett seated, ruled on it. According to Philly Mag, nearly 2.5 million voters across Pennsylvania returned ballots in advance of Election Day, good for 40% of the 6 million vote turnout in 2016. 88% for Democrats, 79% for Republicans, and 84% for the unaffiliated, who make up in Pennsylvania only 11% of the population, which is a really, really low percentage when you think about it compared yeah. to other states. In Pennsylvania, you're you're pretty much either Republican or Democrat. I mean, you're not you're not really an independent. It's not very a very independent-minded state. Libertarians are out of luck <clears throat> in that state. Oh yeah, definitely. So before the election, Democrats had amassed a massive, massive lead in returned mail-ins, and one online commentator I heard before the election referred to it as apocalyptic. 
and he was comparing it to Florida, where Republicans are actually doing quite well with mail-in votes. Yep. So, <clears throat> just uh, so in Pennsylvania, sixty-six percent of Democrats who this is right before the election, sixty-six percent of Democrats who had asked for a mail-in ballot had returned it, compared to only twenty-three percent of Republicans who asked for a mail-in ballot. That's a head start of nearly one point one million votes. So right out the gate, whereas in most states like Ohio, Florida, other supposed swing states, Iowa, yeah, Iowa, Democrats had a lead of like two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand, three hundred thousand. In Pennsylvania, it was over a million votes. So right out the gate, there they've already got over a one million vote lead. Odds are stacked against them from the very beginning. Oh yeah. So Jonathan Tannen, a local politics blogger, wrote on his sixty six words blog before the election that if Trump was winning by twenty seven points on election night. It could actually mean that Biden was in shape to win Pennsylvania by the time all the mail-in ballots were counted. He arrived at that assumption, assuming that, 26, that the 66-27 number would hold and turnout would be the same as in 2016. Of course, obviously turnout was higher in, in 2020, but in yeah. 2016, the total vote was 6,165,478. In 2020, it was 6,915,283 which would create a scenario in which Trump would have had to win 68% of the in-person vote on election day to win. Now, this, of course, doesn't take into account Democrats who voted for Trump. There were a lot of those in Pennsylvania. Yep. But considering that most Democrats who voted early would do so at the behest of Biden and the Democrats, the early vote advantage all but put Pennsylvania out of Trump's reach before the sun even rose on election day. In, in Pennsylvania, the Republican-controlled legislature did not permit the counting of many mail-in ballots until election day morning. So the this is one of the reasons why the vote was delayed in Pennsylvania. They weren't unlike in Florida. They weren't allowed to actually start counting a single mail-in ballot until election day morning. So the Republicans were willing to do that. We were willing to allow them to start counting early. They were willing to give poll workers three days to pre-canvass mail-in ballots. But they also wanted provisions that would have essentially banned ballot dro drop boxes and repealed an old law that said poll watchers must live in the counties where they are observing the voting. And Democrats said this requirement would be a bulwark against GOP intimidation efforts against, quote-unquote, voters of color in Philadelphia and other urban areas. But Democrats weren't they, they weren't willing to uh, to negotiate on this, especially they were – the governor, Tom Wolf, he was willing to kind of – he was kind of open to negotiating on the thing of, um, you know, allowing voter, uh, voters from other parts of the state to observe, but he was dead set against even, even talking about the ballot drop boxes. That was – they weren't going to remove those. So this is why Republicans simply said, OK, well, we can't – we can't work with you on this. So that's why they couldn't start counting mail-in ballots until Election Day morning. Now, you'll hear it from the media and Democrats will say, well, it's Republicans' fault that the election didn't come in so – the election results didn't come any sooner than this. But, I mean, they tried to negotiate and Wolf and the Democrats simply weren't willing to. Another aspect that has to be taken into consideration that we've covered multiple times on this episode, and I would recommend you listen to episode 18, How the Right Can Stop Losing. We cover the Zuckbucks, the, the funding from Mark Zuckerberg extensively in that episode. The New York Post reported that private grants connected to Facebook helped local election offices in 2020 and skewed heavily in favor of Democratic-leaning counties in Pennsylvania. The Center for Tech and Civic Life doled out more, more money per registered voter to Democratic counties and Republican counties in battleground states in analysis by the publication Broad and Liberty. Blue counties not only got more from the organization, but were given a jump start on the grant information by top-ranking state officials. The center boasted, uh, boosted by a whopping $300 million um, from a donation by fa that Facebook head honcho Mark Zuckerberg gave. And a similar unequal distribution of its grants in various states, um, though officials deny the claim that it favored Democratic counties. But the analysis shows that counties like Mifflin and Mercer in Pennsylvania were getting 66 cents and 73 cents per voter, 
while Democratic heavy counties like Philadelphia and Center received $8.87 per voter and $7.70 per voter, according to their analysis. Allegheny County, where Pittsburgh is located, got two eighteen per voter. So obviously, the, these grants were heavily skewed in favor of Democratic heavy counties. And I mean, does anybody deny that Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook is left-leaning? I mean, the idea that they're going to you know, help be, be civic-minded and help the election workers by oh, just being completely neutral, that's completely ridiculous. They just really – he just loves democracy, man. He, he doesn't care about one party or the other. He just supports our republic. Well, saving, saving democracy was what they were – that was the excuse they were using to do everything they could to turn Trump out of office. But when you think about that number, $300 million, I mean typically – That's insane. That's literally – I think that – isn't that how much Hillary's entire 2016 campaign spent? It, it was close. I mean, it's more. Or I it, think it's more than Trump spent in 2016. I, I know that was actually. I take it back. That was Jeb Bush. That was how much Jeb Bush in his primary campaign <laughs> he on in it. 2016 spent on one delegate. But still, that is the total of a major campaign over the course of an entire campaign by one of the biggest political dynasties in America. So and, just from Zuckerberg alone, that's not even taking into account the Biden campaign, the DNC, and all kinds of other sources of money from outside the country like Soros and others. Now, why is this important? Because obviously they can't just – they can't openly, brazenly advocate for Democrats. So this is important because the, this money is going to hire hundreds and hundreds of poll watchers in these areas. And as we're going to point out in Georgia, these poll wor uh, workers were not neutral. They were highly, highly partisan and they were recruited by highly, highly partisan organizations like the ACLU, like Black Lives Matter affiliated groups who you know went out and recruited these poll workers – to, to man to count these ballots. And another thing is the ballot drop boxes. These were this money went to imp increasing the number of ballot drop boxes because these ballot drop boxes aren't exactly cheap because they do have a camera that's monitoring these ballot drop boxes 24 7. That cost a lot of money. So they made sure that they put a ballot drop box within walking distance of every major, you know, of every voting center in these cities. So that's why, of course, they didn't have this option in rural areas and Republican leaning areas. According to Pennsylvania law, the counting of the ballot of an absentee elector or mail-in elector thus deceased shall not of itself invalidate any nomination or election. So when dead voters' ballots were sent in, if it was determined that there was a dead voter that voted, according to Pennsylvania state law, that in itself cannot invalidate an election. So the lawsuits that were brought after the election claiming dead voters voted, even if they could prove that dead voters voted, the election couldn't be overturned because of that. Another thing is the history of fraud. In 2017, Philadelphia had a case of fraud during a special election for a state house seat. Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro charged polling place workers in one location with intimidating voters, casting fake ballots, and falsely certifying results. And again, it goes back to the claim that you know uh, voter fraud is extremely rare. You know these these poll workers are just great civic-minded public servants who would never commit fraud. And even if they did, there's so many safeguards against it they would never get away with it. That, that's the big thing the Democrats love to say is, oh, of course voter fraud happens, but it's it's too insignificant. It's not an, it's never enough to sway an election. Mm -hmm. Again, ask Richard Nixon in 1960 how that worked out. <laughs> Nine military ballots were found in a dumpster. Uh, seven were opened, all for Trump. This is right before the election. You may remember this case. There were uh, there were military ballots that was very obviously discarded by a partisan uh, USPS worker. And uh, of the nine, seven were opened. All seven were for Donald Trump. There was also bureaucratic sloppiness. The USPS lost a number of unknown ballots shortly before the election. So there's Sebastian Machado who posted on Instagram that he was a poll worker in Erie County, and he bragged on Instagram that he had already thrown out 100 Trump votes that morning, on Election Day morning. Now, Erie County denied that he was a poll worker and denied that he was even registered in the county. He later he was later found, and it was later proven that he wasn't re a registered voter in the county. Now, election, a look at what happened on Election Day through the safe harbor date of December 8th. 
a vid there was a video that was released of a poll watcher being denied entry into Philadelphia that went viral that calls the hashtag oh, yeah. stop the steal to be mentioned 12,800 times by noon on election day. And this is this is really what got Trump supporters animated about the fact that it looked like they were going to steal the election. Local officials claimed it was an honest mistake and that the watcher was ultimately allowed in. But if you're trying to keep a poll watcher out and he should be allowed in and the video of that goes viral, it only makes sense that you would cave and let him in because of all the negative publicity. Kind of like what happened to the, the Wayne County Board of uh, Canvassers. Mm -hmm. There were also other poll watchers turned away. Illegal electioneering called on camera. Also, poll workers in Biden face masks were seen filling in blanks in submitted mail-in ballots, among other things. Now, the fact that they were filling in blanks doesn't necessarily mean they were committing fraud because you got some ballots who are damaged. You do have to transfer the you know who they voted for over to uh, blank ballots. But wearing Biden masks while you're tabulating the results of an election in which Biden is a candidate that's kind of that's kind of a problem. Brian McCafferty, he was a self-described registered Democrat from Phil in a Philadelphia poll watcher at the convention center in Philadelphia. He posted a video inside the precinct claiming election workers wouldn't let the poll watchers get within 30 to 100 feet to supervise the ballots being counted. His video went viral and he was promptly kicked out, claiming that you're not allowed to film. And because he was taking a I – even mean, he was just filming like taking a selfie video. You couldn't see anything but his face, but it said because you filmed, we're going to kick you out. Transparency, am I right? Absolute transparency. Some Democrats did concede that on this, Republicans did have a point. Lisa Warshaw, Democratic observer in Philadelphia, confirmed that there were – that observers did have to use binoculars to see what was going on and said that all watchers had been positioned approximately 30 feet away from counting machines Tuesday and Wednesday. Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani said that 15,000 people in Pittsburgh were told they already voted when they tried to vote in person on November 3rd. He questioned how 15,000 people could all somehow forget that they already voted and that would that of course they were forced to use a provisional ballot but still that's um 15,000 who allegedly sent in mail-in ballots but forgot that they did voting machines briefly went down in scranton this prompted a local deputy to come out and tell voters to go ahead and fill out their ballots and that they would be scanned later there were also voters with defective mail-in ballots that were allowed to cast in-person provisional ballots local republicans sued the secretary of state claiming that pennsylvania law did not allow mail-in ballots to be cured before the spike, this is before the election night spike, whenever uh, you know Biden called up with Trump, because Trump was ahead by 700,000 votes. At the peak, yeah, which seemed insurmountable at the time. It's like there's no way they could possibly catch up to this. At that point, Trump was up 56% to Biden's 43%. And at the time, obviously, we knew about the 1 million ballots that were sent in um, by Democrats. So we knew that they would end up catching up and closing that gap. But it was 700,000 votes. It was a 700,000 vote lead. It seemed kind of insurmountable at that point. That's one of the reasons why Pennsylvania was at the forefront of alleged fraud, because it does seem kind of unrealistic that even with all that huge, all those mail-in ballots that still need to be counted, that Biden would be able to catch up. And we've included a graph from CNN that shows Biden's catch-up win, and we'll include this in the description under graph from CNN show in Pennsylvania. And it, it does, I mean, it looks kind of realistic, unrealistic. You got November 4th at uh, 4.56 p.m., Trump declared victory, and then suddenly it, Biden's number shoots up, and by November 7th at 11.22 a.m., CNN projected Biden would win Pennsylvania. After that spike, there were about five Biden votes for every two Trump votes. At 8 a.m. Wednesday, election officials in Pennsylvania said that 1.4 million mail-in ballots still remained to be counted. During a Philadelphia news conference with Giuliani on November 4th, and Jeremy Mercer, a partner in the Porter, Wright, Morrison, Arthur LLP law firm, said – Working uh, said workers handling ballots were kept hundreds, at least 100 feet out of our sight. We're supposed to be, quote, we're supposed to be observing, but we can't see. 
another of Giuliani's contentions was that was ballot curing, which you're not supposed to be allowed to do in Pennsylvania. But he was pointing out that in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, if you made a mistake on your ballot, you were allowed to cure the ballot. Whereas if you lived in a more Republican or Trump part of the state, you weren't given any such right. And one of the plaintiffs, uh, Mr. Henry, he cast an absentee ballot and he failed to um, put in the put the ballot into the secure envelope because whenever you send in a mail-in ballot, you got the outer envelope with your address and inside you've got a blank secure envelope. So he just put the ballot in the outer envelope and uh, he just put it in open naked. That ballot was cast aside because it was invalid because that breaks the privacy of the vote. In Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, if they noticed that that happened, that the ballot wasn't inside the inner envelope, they would contact the voter and allow them to vote again. This was not the case in Republican areas of the state because Republicans were under the assumption who ran these counties. They were under the assumption that you couldn't do that, that that was illegal because Pennsylvania law was very murky on this issue of ballot curing. Two days after the election, this would be November 5th, the Trump campaign won in court uh, and it allowed observers to get within six feet of ballot counters rather than standing way back like – you know, 10 to 20, 30 yards. Pam Bondi, the former Florida attorney general and a loyal Trump ally, she appeared in front of TV cameras at the convention center steps and claimed that after moving the observers to within six feet, city officials then removed the counting machines closest to them away from the observers. Then they tried to sue again to strengthen the ruling when these local officials simply didn't abide by the court ruling, but it was thrown out of court. And furthermore, the Philadelphia sheriff refused to enforce the order. So they asked the Philadelphia sheriff to come down and enforce the order. He simply couldn't show up. He was on. He's probably on his fifth donut, and he still had six more to go, and he just couldn't be bothered to come show up and enforce the court order. Back the blue, right? Back the blue, yep. <laughs> By the afternoon, Corey Lewandowski, Trump's former campaign chief, put in a shift alongside his fellow Trump supporters. He was reached by phone, and Lewandowski confirmed his presence but claimed there was a strange lack of activity. He said, quote, I was there for more than an hour, standing six feet away, and I didn't see them count a single vote. So according to the Democratic Secretary of State, as far as counting mail-in ballots goes, they said – that as long as there's no affirmative evidence that it was postmarked after November 3rd, as long as it was received by November 6th at 5 p.m., which is what the Pennsylvania Supreme Court had ruled, then the ballot would be counted. Now, she said that there's as long as there's no affirmative evidence, in other words, if the ballot wasn't specifically marked after Election Day, then they were going to count every single ballot that was mailed in up to three days after Election Day. The question remained, though, what remedy could there be if a judge found that Trump observers hadn't been close enough to tell if votes were properly counted, such as if a ballot was marked on for November 4th or November 5th? Because, you know, the, would the judge throw out the election? Would he order a new election over something that trivial? It's, it's highly unlikely. So this is one of the difficulties that the Trump campaign had when they were bringing these lawsuits, because if they showed the judge, OK, the court ordered our observers to be placed closer they refuse to comply and allow our observers to be placed closer. The judge could say, what? You know, at that point, there, there's not much that can be done to remedy that situation. At that point, you kind of are at the mercy of the local sheriff to enforce the court order. On November 15th, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court overturned the lower court's ruling and said that the original observation distance for poll workers was sufficient and that they needed to back up. So one of the biggest stories out of the 2020 election in terms of possible fraud and especially out of Pennsylvania was the case of 32-year-old Richard Hopkins, a United States Postal Service worker and former Marine who came forward uh, to Project Veritas, the, the whistleblower watchdog group, and its founder, James O'Keefe, to claim that he had overheard his supervisor at the post office instructing him and other employees to find mail-in ballots that were dated after November the 3rd, because November 3rd, the 3rd was the election day. And in Pennsylvania, they had to be postmarked as being received, being sent out and received 
by November 3rd in order to be counted. And allegedly, his supervisor discussed ways of backdating these ballots, such as if they came in after November 4th, let's change that to November 3rd so they can be counted, which, of course, would be huge fraud and certainly would suggest that, if nothing else, the Postal Service was in on this. Because, you know, the Postal Service is another one of those federal bureaucracies, you know, like the DMV, where these are all government bureaucrats. You can absolutely bet that these people are in the Democrats' pockets and would go out of their way to support Biden any day of the week over Republicans. So then a few days after his initial claims came out, suddenly it started being reported, uh, courtesy of our, our favorite source of reliable news, the Washington Post, Jeff Bezos' newspaper, which cited three anonymous sources. How convenient. Three completely anonymous sources versus the guy who actually puts his name out there. Three anonymous sources connected to the U.S. Postal Service Office of the Inspector General reporting that the whistleblower had admitted to making a fraudulent statement. However, a few days after that, these claims were repeated by the U.S. House Oversight Committee, which, of course, at the time was run by a Democrat majority that reiterated these claims on Twitter. A few days later, Hopkins went back to Project Veritas and James O'Keefe to tell them, no, I never recanted. I still stand by everything I said. I don't know who these people are. They're claiming I recanted my story. And unfortunately, in the time since then, both Project Veritas and James O'Keefe have been banned from Twitter. So we can no longer access those tweets. Well, but, it's, it, it seems obvious that they did sit him down and talk to him, but they probably, from his story that he gave to Project Veritas, he claimed that there was uh, some kind of that they either misunderstood or misrepresented what he said when they sat down and talked to him and twisted it to make it sound like he recanted. Potentially, but then he still came forward to say he didn't recant. No, so, no I mean he said he said he talked to him, but apparently they somehow misworded or got him to say something that gave them the impression or gave them what they thought was licensed to claim that he recanted just completely twisting it because you know how they do you know how these bureaucrats do or even these investigators like they'll sit down and say now was it was it tuesday at 10 a.m or 10 30 yeah it, and if oh you it get, was 10 30 okay if we got through his whole story out because he got the he, he got, got the, the time, time wrong. wrong if you get one detail wrong that's perjury yeah right exactly yeah <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, that's that's why uh, yeah you never you never talk to bureaucrats under nope. any circumstances or the feds yeah but yeah, so that, that's – I mean on this particular – like how many people at the USP – what do you think the ratio of Democrats to Republicans at that institution are, at that wonderful, revered, time-honored institution are? I'm going to say at least 150 to negative 1,300. Yeah, so this this is actually very credible evidence considering that it is a bureaucracy, considering the – you know the the political demographics of the USPS, so I don't I don't deny this at all. And also, as we're going to see, this is what the whole media uh, the media intelligence cabal does. As we're going to see with the Williams College, uh, college professor who ended up who is a Yale educated mathematician who presented evidence that bolstered the case for voter fraud in Pennsylvania and other states. The way they treated his qualification of what he of, of the evidence that he looked at to make it look like he just completely reneged on the evidence and completely recanted everything he said is we're going to get into and this is because this is what they do like this is what they have a track record of doing and of course the the average person they just see the washington post headline which is repeated by hundreds of other left-wing and mainstream news sources that this guy recanted and just made the whole thing up and so they immediately just you know, they just run with it because oh it's the washington post yeah and then they delete they delete the project veritas account and the account of him saying no that's not what i said so it just gets buried like you literally have to read stuff like the gateway pun and other right-wing sources to know what this guy actually said in his own words but on uh continued on with the timeline of the lawsuits on monday november 9th the Trump campaign filed a lawsuit, another lawsuit asking a judge to block Pennsylvania certification. They cited instances of voter discrepancies in two red counties, 
This was someone who received two mail-in ballots and the allegations of anonymous poll watchers in heavily blue counties who said they weren't able to get close enough and claimed that they saw things that might be voter fraud. The lawsuit asked the court to prevent the state, Philadelphia, and six counties from certifying the elections, the results of the election. It also sought to block them from counting mail-in ballots that weren't witnessed by a Trump campaign representative when they were processed or counting ballots cast by voters who were given an opportunity to fix mail-in ballots that were going to be disqualified for a technicality. Because remember, they were claiming Republicans didn't have this luxury to cure their own mail-in ballots. Specifically, the lawsuit alleged that in-person voters were required to show identification while mail-in ballot while mail-in voters were not. Now, the Republican-controlled legislature approved mail-in voting in October 2019, and it allowed all qualified electors to vote by mail without having to provide a reason and without requiring voter ID. The ruling in favor of the campaign would have essentially made vote by mail nationwide illegal. So, of course, this lawsuit didn't stand a snowball's chance in hell of succeeding. And again, this goes back to what Republicans should have done before the election. I mean, you obviously can't go back in time and fix the mistakes, but this is one thing that Republicans, unfortunately, and the Trump people have not the, the admitted. The RNC specifically, though, because the RNC is the one that has all the lawyers. You know, Trump's legal team was, you know, a, a handful. You had Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, Joda Genova, Victoria Tonson, like a small team of, of A-listers for sure, but they don't have the hundreds of lawyers at their disposal ready to go on a moment's notice with marching orders like the RNC did. This really was more on the RNC because obviously the Trump campaign is going to focus first and foremost on supporting Trump and getting Trump reelected. The RNC, and again, who is chaired by Ronna Romney McDaniel, the niece of Mitt Romney, they completely did nothing. They sat on their hands and just assisted in messaging, calling the Democrats socialists. But in this case, it was the Republican legislature, Republican-led legislature in Pennsylvania that not only supported this, uh, that not only voted for the law, but actively supported it and pushed it. They were the ones who allowed no excuse mail-in voting. They were the ones who ruled, who passed the law saying that mail-in voters did not have to present voter ID, which is, it's insane. You vote, by, you vote by person in Pennsylvania, you have to show your driver's license. You vote by mail, you don't have to show your driver's license. So the Trump campaign did bring some good points that this is kind of, uh, you know, this is an equal protections clause thing, but it was the, Repu the all, any judge that looks at that, especially one appointed by Democrats, will say, look, it was the Republicans who enacted this law. Like we, you had an opportunity before, and this was enacted in October 2019. You had plenty of time to bring this lawsuit between October 2019 and the and election day, and you chose not to do it. So it also accused Allegheny County and Philadelphia, where Trump was badly beaten in unofficial election returns, of receiving and processing 682,479 mail-in and absentee ballots without review by political parties and candidates. However, Republican County Election Board member San DeMauro told KDKA's Andy Sheehan that poll watchers did have adequate sight lines and the process had been fair. In Montgomery County, the Trump attorney claimed he didn't believe the 592 mail-in votes he uh, wanted discounted because of issues on the envelopes constituted potential fraud, but were simply mistakes. And this is what this is the same thing that Trump lawyers argued in Arizona, that there was no fraud. We're not arguing fraud. This was simply sloppiness, which isn't just arguing that uh, the results came in like they did because of poll worker sloppiness. The Trump campaign won a lawsuit to discount any ballots, any ballot any ballot identification cured. Sorry, any ballots that were uh, identification cured. In other words, that were cured because of a lack of identification between November 9th and November 12th. So that was a, a small victory, and uh, the November 12th have been the deadline set by the Secretary of State. And uh, the Secretary of State had just arbitrarily extended the deadline. It's like, like they asked the Democrats, asked her, hey, can you extend the deadline, give us three more days to, to count votes? Oh, sure, I'll go ahead and extend it without even consulting the legislature. So there, it's unknown exactly how many ballots this would have affected, but in Philadelphia County alone, there were 2,100 such ballots. So at the time of the ruling, Biden was leading by 53,580. 
So if this ruling had not come through, if you take just Philadelphia County, which represents maybe a fifth of the state's population, so you're talking over 10,000 votes that would have come in in addition to the tallies that were already tabulated if this court hadn't ruled the way it did. On Tuesday, November 10th, a group of Republican lawmakers called for a legislative audit into the presidential election to determine if Pennsylvania's general election was conducted, quote, fairly and lawfully. The House State Government Committee on November 18th voted 15 to 10 to task a bipartisan committee that holds subpoena power with compiling a report on issues and inconsistencies and to hire a firm to audit the vote to ensure the accuracy of the results. A resolution to conduct an audit was approved by the House. Um, uh, They took a full vote in the House on this, and it passed 112 to 90 with support from every single Republican and three Democrats. However, on November 23rd, the Legislative Budget and Finance Committee voted two to one not to conduct a risk-limiting audit of the election. The committee was also asked to track everything from wrongly mailed ballots to when each county began processing ballots. And the committee staff said there just wasn't enough time. So they're like, nope, we're not going to do this. On November 13th, the federal court rejected Republican congressional candidates' appeal to throw out 9,300 votes received between Election Day and the deadline to receive them. Meanwhile, this is you probably heard about this in the news. There was a major law firm that withdrew from the Trump lawsuit, and this this was a huge blow to the Trump campaign to uh, to their legal team. The Trump campaign replaced them and continued to demand to know how many votes were invalidated because of missing inner envelopes or bad or missing signatures. But uh, the Lincoln Project was was uh, oh, God. was really uh, instrumental in kind of bullying this law firm to quit. So yeah, so is this more that they doxed the lawyers, right? They started yeah, posting, yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember and so that. the the lawyers themselves started pressuring the law firm to quit, or started threatening they were going to quit the law firm if they didn't pull out. So this this was a big Ohio, I believe it was based in Ohio, a big law firm that supported the Trump lawsuits. They pulled out. So at this point, Trump the Trump campaign kind of had to scramble to replace them. So they just put Giuliani on the case. So he took over the case and argued it. He emphasized that. And again, like in Arizona, uh, like the Trump campaign lawyers in Arizona, Giuliani uh, emphasized to the judge that he wasn't claiming there was any fraud, but he claimed that there were disparities and this was probably the result of sloppiness. And uh, the case there was the case of two voters who joined the lawsuit. Uh, this seemed to be a legitimate example of how a lack of equal treatment ballooned Biden's vote total. But uh, and this was these were voters like who who did not send in um, who sent in a mail in ballot, but there was a mistake. They forgot to put the ballot inside the envelope and their votes were discounted. And the argument by Giuliani and his team was that if they had been Democrats in a blue heavy in a Democratic county, they would have been allowed to cure their ballots. So this is one example where we can affirmatively, definitively say that there would have been more Trump votes if Trump voters had been allowed to cure their ballots at the same rate as Democrats, or there would have been far fewer Democratic voters if Democrats had not allowed their voters in counties where they are dominant, like 80% of the voting population. And there also certainly would have been a better effort to expose this fraud had a law firm literally not been bullied and threatened and doxxed and harassed off the case. Right, right. They don't have a lot of resources. Imagine if we tried doing that to a Democrat law firm, like a Perkins Coie kind of thing. (laughs) They would immediately end up on a federal watch list. Because the thing is, like Giuliani, he means well, and I think he did the best he could could with uh, considering his age. But you've got to remember, this is one thing that a lot of people pointed out at the time. He hadn't argued a case before a federal court since 1992. So the the guy literally became a politician. Like he didn't kind of stop. He he was an incredible prosecutor back in the 80s when he put away all the mafia families in New York and basically cleaned up the entire state. And then, of course, used that to eventually to run for mayor. But but as far as arguing in federal court, this is like this is kind of like your all your quarterbacks get injured or quit your team. So you got to pull in a a quarterback out of retirement to come do the job that they quit doing. Yikes. 
The Trump campaign withdrew its challenge in Delaware County of over 1,700 of the nearly 9,000 provisional ballots cast. The county agreed to disqualify ballots where the voter did not sign the voter affidavit on the provisional ballot envelope. So they got a little bit of a win and just ended up saving an additional 1,700 votes from being counted that probably shouldn't have been counted. In the Philadelphia suburban Bucks County, the Trump lawyers signed court documents that they weren't claiming. And this is, again, this is kind of it's almost self-defeating. I kind of understand why they're doing this because they have to present, they'd have to present fraud in court. Otherwise their cases would get thrown out. But still, I mean, they signed these Trump lawyers signed court documents that they were not claiming fraud or misconduct. They were simply challenging a measly 2,200 ballots because of defects, which 2,200 ballots is a drop in the bucket. When you look at the margin that Biden was racking up over Trump uh, during this time. There were six cases thrown out on November 13th in which the Trump campaign was trying to disqualify over 9,000 votes in deep blue counties because outer envelopes lacked names, dates, or addresses, or some combination of the three that voters could have filled out. The Trump campaign, didn't again, did not argue for voter fraud, only that it was trying to enforce the rules. On November 15th, the Trump campaign narrowed its federal case in Pennsylvania to claim that the only complaint it had was ballot curing, which even if it won... Even if it won this issue in the Supreme Court on that case alone, it would have been it just it simply would not have overcome Biden's lead. On November 21st, U.S. District Judge Matthew Brand, a Republican and Federalist Society member in central Pennsylvania, compared the Trump campaign's legal arguments to Frankenstein's monster. He concluded that the Trump team offered only, quote, speculative accusations, not proof of rampant corruption. He said he expected the campaign to present formidable evidence of rampant corruption corruption. As it sought to nullify millions of votes, instead, he said the campaign presented, quote, strained legal arguments without merit and speculative accusations. A group of Pennsylvania Republicans led by U.S. Representative Mike Kelly and 2020 congressional candidate Sean Parnell sued the state government in their own lawsuit over its mail-in vote law, which passed the legislature in 2019. Again, as I mentioned, the Republican-led legislature. They claimed that the no-excuse mail-in voting was unconstitutional and needed a constitutional amendment. They sought to invalidate all mail-in votes in Pennsylvania. There was a TikToker who alleged that there were ballots showed that had been received the day that they were sent out. But the department, the Pennsylvania Department of State said it was legal to request and fill out a mail-in ballot in the in the county election office. So if you went into a county election office, you could request a mail-in ballot. You could fill it out there at the counter and immediately submit it. And the date shown, uh, the mail-out date would be the same as the mailed-in date. And so they were arguing you can't you can't actually send out a letter and have and then receive it the same day. That would be impossible. And the Department of State was saying no. They actually went into the office and filled these out. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court struck down multiple lawsuits on November 23rd that sought to disqualify fewer than 9,000 votes in Philadelphia County or for errors on the outer envelopes. Matt Brainerd, now, and meanwhile, uh, Matt Brainerd was a uh, Trump guy who started a cold calling attempt to de uh, detect fraud. And what he did is there, what they, they would find discrepancies on the voter rolls and of people who allegedly sent in mail-in ballots, and they would call these people. They were just cold calling people. And what they were trying to do is create a database of this was there were about 25,000 people who they called. And then they were going to use uh, Dr. Stephen Miller, who is a Williams College mathematician, to extrapolate from the results. It's like they were asking, did you send in a mail-in ballot? Like it says here, you send in a mail-in ballot. And then the person would say, no, I did not send a mail-in ballot. And so that was a person that would be an example of obvious fraud or a, you know, a clear discrepancy. And so they would they were then going to get Dr. Stephen Miller to take these results and take the data and extrapolate it to the entire state to produce an estimate of how many votes were probably fraudulent or should not have been counted. And we'll come back to that in a second because that's that's uh, that's kind of a big deal. 
On November 25th, the day after Pennsylvania certified Biden as the winner, Giuliani and poll watchers met with Republican state senators in Gettysburg and discussed the irregularities. So this was the first time that a lot of these affidavits, the people who signed affidavits, were actually able to get their uh, their complaints aired to the public. Uh, one expert witness testified seeing USB drives uploaded to multiple computers. On November 27th, the Third Circuit Court of Appeals sided with Judge Brand and threw out the Trump campaign's lawsuit. On November 28th, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court dismissed the Kelly Parnell lawsuit with prejudice. So this is Jesse Morgan. He says he was uh, he was a, uh, a truck driver, USPS truck driver, and he uh, was suspicious of his cargo. This is an interview that he gave to OAN, to One American News. Now, before this, he had given a press conference in Arlington, Virginia, and this is one of the one of the biggest uh, you know smoking guns of potential fraud in Pennsylvania. And again, as we do with fairly longer videos, this is just over five minutes long. We are going to be playing it at 1.25 speed. This all happened on October 21st, all right? So October 21st, I went into work as normal. I picked up my truck, uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I got my slip, my ticket, whatever you want to call it. Uh, a slip of ticket is basically something that it has the date, it has the time, it has when I'm leaving, it has all the information I, I have on it for that load. So I, I got the, my, my ticket and off I rolled to go to Bethpage, New York. I get to Bethpage, I check in at the, the guard shack out front, I go over to the, the, the door that he assigned me, um, I, get, I, I dock the trailer, I go inside, and as I go inside, this is when things kind of got a little different. So I always see an expediter when I go to a place. I see them whenever I go to a place um, and whenever I leave the place. So when I went in, I gave her the ticket. She said, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? She said, good. She goes, guess what? Today you're going to be bringing back mail-in ballots. I'm psyched because I'm doing something to help out for the presidential uh, race, you know, like this is, uh, this is cool, the election, you know, and um, all I know is I'm picking up the ballots from New York. I don't know. I don't know if they're New York ballots. I don't know if they're Pennsylvania ballots. I don't know if they're California ballots. All I know is I'm picking up ballots in New York, headed for Harrisburg. I got my ticket and off I rolled. Part of me was wondering, like you know, like I was excited, but then part of me was wondering also, like, when why am I taking these things uh, out of state from from New York to PA? I I don't know. I don't know what the proper process is, but I just know, like, I mean, I don't think I don't think you would take mail-in ballots out of one state to the other like i don't i just don't seem right you know yeah that is a pretty uh, <clears throat> obvious statement you do not uh you, you don't you're not taking ballots from california to pennsylvania that doesn't make any sense so that right off the bat that does sound rather suspicious um then i got the new or uh, i got the harrisburg and this is where things kind of got weird was so i pull in and i was i made the wait so i sat in the yard and uh i sat there uh from 9 15 till a little after three o'clock in the afternoon i ended up going in uh, to get uh, to uh, to figure out what was going on, and we went, I was like, I went in, no one knew. I talked to an expediter. He said he doesn't know. He said, hold on, I'm I'm gonna go uh, get someone, find someone, you know. And that's whenever I I talked to uh, this transportation supervisor. He came down. He's like, hey, how are you? I said, good. How are you? He said, good. Uh, he said, I'm transportation supervisor. He said, like, I'm gonna need you to take this load um, out to Lancaster, and. Um, and I said, well, I was like, why, why? I was like, that, that, I was like, that really doesn't make sense. This is why I told him. I was like, this really doesn't make sense. I said, I was like, why would I take it back to Lancaster? I was like, 95% of this load is all for you. I was like, uh, it would make more sense to leave the trailer here in this yard if, if that's the case, uh, because I'm running out of hours, all right? And the, the, the guy said, no, just take it back. And I said, okay. I was like, well, I'm not going to argue with the dude. I'm just, I'm not, I don't get paid to do that. Um, and I said, all right, I was like, well, let me get a slip. And he said, no, I was like, well, I need a slip. You know, he goes, he goes, no, he's like, I'm not giving you a slip. I said, well, I, why aren't you giving me a slip? And he's like, we need to be unloaded. I was like, well, let me get a late slip at least. So that way I'm being paid for the six hours that I sat in the yard. He's like, no, you ain't getting no slip either. No late slip either. And he got kind of sarcastic. I got a little sarcastic. I was like, whatever, I'm, I'm leaving. 
And then I drove the Her- or drove the Lancaster, dropped the trailer off where I normally do. And then I, I just I got my I dropped my truck off and uh, got in my car, drove away. Came back the next day, and this is one of the even weirder. So my trailer that I had I had this trailer for the, for the past month, 10R1440, it's not there. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, where's my trailer at? You know, like the trailer's gone. No one knows. And this was the first and only time that I had mail in ballots. First and only. I didn't vote for anyone. I'll be honest with you. I didn't vote for anyone. I just didn't want to, you know. Um, and um, and I, t- I, was, I was talking to my mom, and she said, hey, she goes, I want you to talk to, to someone uh, about the situation that you had, all right? And, uh, and I said, okay. And I talked to them, and uh, I told them everything that I just told you. I didn't care who really won the election, but, like, standing there, I think the voting, the election, our vote, like, that's the one thing of us Americans that we have. And if you're going to start corrupting that, taking that away from us as Americans, uh, we deserve to know the truth. We deserve to have an honest, fair election. So, I mean, definitely a few suspicious things there. I mean, especially the part where the guy is like, no, I'm not even going to give you a slip to register to show proof that you made the delivery here. Slash, I'm not going to pay you for the extra time you spent waiting. Like, that's that mm-hmm. definitely is suspicious. That implies, you know, whatever, uh, shall we say, transaction is going on here. They, they don't want it on the books. Mm-hmm. Now, the, they don't really have any explanation for this. That is the Democrats, that is the media. The, the local folks in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, said it wasn't uncommon for them to receive out-of-state mail-in ballots because you do have Pennsylvania voters who live in other states. But why would they all be in Bethpage, New York, and why would there be so many of them coming to Lancaster, the small town of Lancaster, Pennsylvania? And uh, are there really that many Pennsylvania residents who live out of New York, and would they all – like why would they all – all those ballots be sent to Bethpage, New York? Now, another pushback that there's uh, – other than that, the the main pushback to this has been to try to discredit this guy, Jesse Morgan. Um, before anybody heard of him with this, uh, you know, regarding this, he was uh, an alleged ghost hunter. Um, he oh, uh, would move – he moved his daughters out of a house because he claimed it was haunted. He heard strange noises and he saw a shadowy figure uh, coming up at him up the stairs. And, uh, and he would – like he would sleep outside when he was a teenager uh, just out in the yard. Uh, his mom found him kind of weird. I mean there's a lot of really, really weird stuff <laughs> in his past that – I ain't scared of no ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there are some like really weird stuff about this guy in his past. Um, like one time he allegedly – like there was some kind of uh, issue where he was allegedly abused his girlfriend and other things. So – yeah, I mean, whatever. But the thing is, like, you can take this for what it's worth. It it does sound very suspicious. Um, we've included, I've included his affidavit in the show notes, so you can read his affidavit for yourself and make up your own mind. But it's, I mean, it's worth noting because it is uh, pretty significant. But moving on to the court cases, the final the the final blow against the court cases was on December eighth. The Supreme Court refused to hear the Kelly Parnell case, the, the one filed by Sean Parnell. And the argument that was where they were wanting to argue that uh, sending out mail-in ballots to every single voter was unconstitutional, and this was uh, this they, the Supreme Court refused to take it up. the The U.S. Supreme Court they claimed that it kind of uh, violated the well-established rule that courts simply won't consider legal claims filed long after a perceived wrong has been committed, especially like when a the statute act- like a statute of limitations kind of thing, basically. Yeah, yeah, sort of, sort of like that. So, especially when the action in question had been uh, relied on by others specifically the state court. So they had already uh, exhausted their options at state courts. They uh, applied to the uh, appeal to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court was like, no, this is a state law. 
voter, the voters elected legislators who voted on this law. It was challenged in state court after the fact, after the election, after the harm was committed. So we can't hear the case. And that was it. That was pretty much it for Pennsylvania. That's once again, the Supreme Court does what the Supreme Court does best. They punt and just defer back to lower courts. Yeah, yeah. So they're not. That's that's one thing. The Supreme Court really isn't as useful as a lot of people think it is. On uh, February 22nd. The Supreme Court, with three dissents, refused to take up the three-day late mail-in ballot case. So this was the case where the, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said we're going to arbitrarily extend mail-in ballot counting up to three days after the election. And finally, on February 22nd, the Supreme Court refused to hear it, which it wouldn't have mattered anyway. The election was long over. Split. Another thing that needs to be taken into consideration when analyzed in Pennsylvania is split-ticket voting. So in Pennsylvania, Democrats assumed that they were going to sweep everything because Trump was unpopular. They were going to kick Trump out of office and they were going to you know, take over the state, <clears throat> state legislature. And that didn't happen. The state legislature actually stayed very red. So even though turnout was high across the state, uh, the state and Biden racked up big margins in Philadelphia and the suburbs of Pittsburgh. Improved Democratic numbers, numbers in those smaller cities and suburbs simply did not translate to democratic victories down um this is from uh w w h y y going into the election the democrats held attorney general auditor general and treasurer but ended up losing two of those uh democrat treasurer joe Tursella, he lost his election to a republican and also pennsylvania's congressional delegation which was split evenly among republicans and democrats remained completely unchanged and another thing that really uh, plays against the idea that, uh, that there was massive voter fraud, that the big four, like Philadelphia, flipped the city for Biden, is the fact that Trump actually did better than he in 2020 than he did in 2016 in Philadelphia. And this plays into the fact that exit polls show that he improved his percentage of the black vote. But where he fell far short was in the suburbs. The suburbs of Philadelphia were absolutely apocalyptic against Trump. He lost – in some of these counties, he lost upwards of uh, you know, 8, 10, 12 percentage points compared to 2016. I mean it was really – and these sub, the suburban counties other than Bucks County that I briefly mentioned, they weren't really in these, these lawsuits. They weren't really being challenged. Everything was focused on Philadelphia because it was assumed big city, you know, heavily you – know, this is the year of Black Lives Matter, heavily minority population. They're probably going to be cheating like crazy. But that's not really where the margin of victory came for Biden in Pennsylvania. Some of the things, especially like Sidney Powell and others that were claiming about the Dominion voting machines, one claim was that Dominion voting machines deleted 941,000 votes for Trump in Pennsylvania. That's simply statistically impossible because only about 1.3 million votes were cast on Dominion machines. The total voter registration in counties that use Dominion machines is 1.7 million. Um, so that that's the Dominion thing. This is one thing that if you look into it even you know briefly, you can tell that the Dominion thing simply there just is no there there with that. It just it, there there wasn't anything to that case. The Kraken was not summoned. The Kraken was not summoned, unfortunately. I mean, the, if it had been summoned, this would have been uh, you know it would have blown up. But it would have been all over the news. This reminds me. I just got to go back to this because I know we hinted at this a little bit with our what was I believe our second episode. I can't believe it's already been almost a year when we talked about some of the craziest right-wing conspiracies about the election because like yeah there's absolutely voter fraud you can look at but then there's these ridiculous stories and the one i'll never forget which i'm not sure if this was actually pushed by sydney powell but the claim that like an elite team of navy seals had like tried to seize a server in germany or something like yep. to me mm -hmm. and that allegedly five service members died but they successfully retrieved the server yeah. <laughs> yep. and they were bringing it back to the united states and soros is going to get arrested and people big and boomers and gateway pundit and alex jones followers are all like sharing this unironically and naturally the question you ask is 
okay, why is this not international news that five Navy SEALs died in a mission in yep. Germany? Like, it's just, it doesn't hold up. Well, it's like that conference call that they had on December, I think it was December 5th, or no, January 5th, right before the January 6th explosion. They were talking about how they had people who were flying to Italy and talking to undercover journalists and uh, the Italian journalists talking about this, and they were scared to give the results because, you know, the Italian government who was in cahoots with the with, State with Department Obama, had come down like on them. Obama met with the Pope or something. Yeah, like, just, just crazy <laughs> stuff. And the thing is, these people... These serious people, these these adults on this conference call, are like, "Oh my goodness, yeah, we we gotta we've gotta really pray, we've gotta really pray that this works out because it, it's our lives at stake. You know, people's lives could be lost over this stuff. Well, it's like the whole world is controlled by this cabal that just could come down and crush them at any time. And but, Trump is our only savior. For well, this. and here's the thing: yes, these governments are overwhelmingly against Trump. We know the Pope doesn't like Trump. We know Obama doesn't like Trump. We know a lot of European governments don't like Trump. That is true. But the idea that they are you know, coordinating and meeting secretly in the Vatican to discuss stealing the election with Dominion. Like that's, there. there's plenty of ways they are going to naturally, you know, European governments will all say like, oh, we don't like Trump. And, you know, globalists will say, oh, the United States is less respected uh, across the world under Trump. Like, of course, they're going to say that to try to influence perceptions here in America. And you could argue that's a form of trying to sway the election. But there is, there's plenty of legitimate criticisms for these people, these globalist forces. And then there's just, Stuff that even Tom Clancy would never write because this 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 would not even make a good Tom Clancy novel. This is just really bad QAnon fan fiction. Well, I'll tell you something that would make a really good Tom Clancy novel. The curious case of Mo Philadelphia mob boss Joey Merlino. Oh, boy. This is from Philly Voice. So this is uh, as uh, this is by Michael Tannenbaum. As President Donald Trump's desperate challenge to Joe Biden's election victory drags on, reputed Philly Mafia veteran skinny Joey Merlino has been dragged into a deranged conspiracy theory alleging he orchestrated a massive fraud operation in the city involving thousands of ballots for the Democratic candidate. Merlino, 58, has been on supervised release in South Florida since late last year after taking a plea deal in a 2018 racketeering conspiracy case. He emerged as the face of the Philadelphia mob during the 1990s, becoming a local celebrity whose notoriety rose when he was convicted in another racketeering case in 2001. During his most recent trial, Merlino claimed that he had retired from the mob and had been focusing on his Italian restaurant in Boca Raton, which closed permanently after he was indicted in 2016. However, over the weekend, Merlino's came, uh, name came up in an exclusive published by the Buffalo Chronicle, a bogus conspiracy news website that has been linked to patently false stories about Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, among other scoops debunked by news organizations. The bogus, bogus stories about Trudeau, like the claim that he's actually a man. I haven't looked into that, but it sounds like that's probably what's whether he's, what he's talking about here. The Merlino argue, uh, article quotes an anonymous uh, source who claimed the Philly mobster was willing to flip to expose. He was willing to like you know flip to prosecutors or flip to investigators to expose widespread corruption, election fraud in Pennsylvania. The source alleged that Merlino himself participated in fabricating ballots and delivering them to Philadelphia in nondescript cardboard boxes on election night. As the story has it, Merlino was willing to flip for prosecutors in exchange for expungement of his past misdeeds. He would also need to be pardoned for the new crimes he'd supposedly been, be admitting to by exposing his involvement in democratic corruption to take down Trump. The story goes so far as to claim that Merlino specifically wants a clean record so that he can get a job at the National Park Service. If the insanity of this article were not disturbing enough on its own, the story was favorably tweeted by Jordan Seculo, the son of one of Trump's top personal lawyers, Jay Seculo. Jay Seculo. Attorney John 
Maringolo, who represents Merlino, told the New York Daily News on Tuesday that his client has no involvement whatsoever with any of the allegations raised in the story. He reportedly he's reportedly been fielding numerous calls about it. "Quote: My my client categorically denies all the allegations, and Joey would rather die than ever be than ever be a snitch." Merlino, after reading the Buffalo Chronicle story, reportedly told uh, Maringolo, "Quote: These people are crazy." Even Rudy Giuliani, who has propagated his own allegations about election fraud, called the allegation against Merlino far-fetched during an interview with Fox Business on Tuesday. So, yeah, it's just some people, like, I wish I wish a lot of Trump supporters, like, here's the thing. Obviously, there was fraud. And obviously, there were a lot of things that didn't make, make sense, like the vote spikes. The, um, but if you're just an average Joe, an average Trump supporter, at that point, you have to understand that this stuff is out of your hands. At this point, it's it kind of is up to the experts, like the Rudy Giuliani's of the world, the lawyers on the Trump campaign. These are the people who have access, who are, have like legislatures. They are the ones who have subpoena power. They're the ones who can look into this stuff. Doing all this private investigation on this private sleuthing that a lot of these amateurs were doing online, all it did was feed conspiracy theories. And it really kind of discounts it, some of the actual ballot fraud because now a lot that's of literally that's what it is at the end of the day is that there's just so much it's an information dump of the wildest things like you know we have Sidney powell talking about oh venezuela was hacking our election and that completely obfuscates from the more obvious focus which should be yeah poll workers boarding up windows or rolling out suitcases of ballots from underneath tables and stuff like that like you can absolutely talk more about the immediate direct domestic threat or the Zuckerberg funding or things like that without going into these wild, again, Tom Clancy-esque conspiracies of an international communist cabal. Mm -hmm. But when stuff like this is put out there, it immediately turns Democrats off to any you know, any real ballot fraud. So if they're presented with hard evidence that there was election fraud, they refuse to hear it because they're like, oh, this is more Tom Clancy stuff. Speaking of actual ballot fraud, Tom Wolf, the governor of Pennsylvania, committed actual ballot fraud this November. This is from uh, ABC 27 News in Harrisburg. Governor Wolf appeared to have violated Pennsylvania election law after revealing his wife dropped off his ballot for him on Tuesday. The governor was on a radio show in Pittsburgh when he revealed that he had his wife drop off his ballot prior to Tuesday's election, which is illegal in Pennsylvania and punishable by law for up to one year in prison and or a $1,000 fine. Quote, he broke the law like the governor broke the law. And actually, it was his wife because uh, she ended up handing the ballot in. And that's the trigger for violation for violating election law. She's the suspect. State Representative Seth Grove, Republican of York County, said Pennsylvania election law states voters must mail or bring their ballot to an election office drop box or other approved location themselves. Grove said, quote, you could hear it like it's normal, like it's a normal conversation spouses have all the time, right? Like, honey, you're driving by the store. Can you drop this off, right? It happens every single day. Grove added that the frustrating part is Pennsylvania actually had a proposed bill to fix it, House Bill 1300, but Governor Wolf vetoed it. So Governor Wolf vetoed the very bill that would have kept him out of prison for a year. Now, obviously, he's the, he's not going to prison. Like, you think he's going to be prosecuted for this. But see, stuff, stuff like this is, is some of the stuff that actually happened in 2020. You had people dropping off ballots for family members when they shouldn't have been dropping them off. You had people who were voting for family members. You had people who were filling in information for people they shouldn't have been, you know, curing ballots for other people and stuff like this it, in this these cases these weren't manufactured votes like uh, tom wolf did not fill out the ballot for his wife and in fact this is what grove said grove said uh you know the governor handed her his ballot i'm pretty sure he voted and he handed it to her 
He said a case of actual election fraud would have been she took his ballot and filled it out on his behalf. So Grove, the Republican Grove, is saying is basically saying like the governor didn't commit actual fraud, but he vetoed the bill that would have made this legal for you to hand your ballot to a family member and have them drop it off at the Dropbox. But stuff like this, uh, you know, technicalities like this, if every single technicality had been followed, I fully believe that Trump would have won, that he would be president. But stuff like this is just, you know, it's simple stuff. It's not actual nefarious stuff, but it's stuff that people were violating the law without realizing they were violating the law. Now, one last note on Pennsylvania before we jump to Georgia. This November, the Pennsylvania Senate Republicans, through a committee they control, hired Invoice Sage, which is an Iowa-based firm, to conduct a forensic audit of the 2020 election. So Pennsylvania is getting their own forensic audit just like arizona got its own forensic audit so that's that'll be a huge deal yeah that's pending so that's that's still in the wait as it stands right now uh the uh the numbers the the vote margin in pennsylvania which is it's about the the margin in pennsylvania is about eighty thousand votes um that there just isn't enough evidence that has come out in pennsylvania for me to be convinced that uh that trump won pennsylvania or that it's even a toss-up at this point we're looking at that there's no evidence there's absolutely no evidence of massive systemic fraud and I, I mean, I'll have to look for it. Have to wait till the results of this state audit are released to find out. I mean, maybe they maybe they'll find something. But at this point, I'm looking at maybe two thousand, five thousand, mo- at most ten thousand votes that were mishandled, that were pat that were passed through that shouldn't have been counted. And the most damning thing about the case for fraud in Pennsylvania really is the fact that it was the Philadelphia suburbs and the city of Pittsburgh, which are heavily white. Heavily college educated that switched massively from Trump in 2016 and voted for Biden. And Trump actually improved quite significantly his margin in Philadelphia. So well, because of that, I'm going to have to say that the margin of 80,000 votes is simply too great for me to even put Pennsylvania in a toss-up. And the fact that you had a million Democratic mail-in votes before the first vote was even counted on Election Day, to me, that that simply put it almost completely out of reach for Trump. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say is that at, at looking at this, I mean, because it was a closer margin than, say, Michigan or some other states. Like, it, it was it was very close. It was down to the wire. The election, I don't think, in, in Pennsylvania was stolen by your typical mafia fraud or whatever or the Postal Service or whatever. But there definitely is an argument to be made that they did steal the election through these unilateral rule changes. But at this point, we don't really know whether or not there was massive fraud because the thing with Jesse Morgan is, you know, he may be telling the truth. That may have been an elaborate scheme to actually steal the election, but until we have this forensic audit come through, then we, we don't really know. Now, you know, they may turn up 150,000 ballots that were double votes or, you know, or something like that because they didn't have a hand count, hand recount of Pennsylvania like they did in Georgia, as we're going to see. So there's our thoughts on the state of Pennsylvania. Next up, we are going to talk about Wisconsin. <laughs> 